Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggles of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Alex Kellerman. And I'm Ulrich Brissell. This week, we're excited to welcome editor Lawrence Jordan to the show. Hi, Lawrence. Hi, guys. Good to be here. Very nice to meet you. Yeah. Hey, hey Lawrence. Thanks Thanks so much for coming on, man. Seriously. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I was a little late. Just, uh, you know, the editor's live. You never get out of there on time. <laughs> That's <Exactly>. okay. <laughs> I edit too, and I totally relate to that. Um, obviously, not as cool things as you edit, but, you know. <laughs> oh, don't, don't be too sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cisco corporate videos, you know. That's where the money is, buddy. You got to start somewhere. Right. Exactly. Kellerman, you want to Give uh, Lawrence an intro here. Oh, do, you, do I keep reading? If you want to, or we can skip it. <laughs> I thought you I, would do I, that. I, I only wrote it. You um, usually fine. do that. I'll, I'll do it. Okay. <laughs> so, so for people who don't know who Lawrence Jordan is, he has been a motion picture editor for over 25 years, editing such films as Assassins, directed by Richard Donner, writing Cars with Boys, directed by Penny Marshall, and Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo, along with a, like a slew of other comedies, dramas, action movies and all kinds of, of films. Wow. Lawrence has also edited his fair share of TV, including nine episodes of NYPD Blue, for which he received an Emmy nomination for his work on The Pilot. And like, I could go on for a lot longer and list all the wonderful things Lawrence has done, but I think I'll stop there and uh, let you talk a little bit, Lawrence. Yeah, Lawrence, can you give us a little bio on yourself? Like, how do you describe yourself? Uh, wow. What I, well, that was a that was a nice uh, walk down memory lane. Uh, yeah, there were, there, there were a bunch <laughs> of movies, and uh, thank you for not mentioning all the unforgettable ones uh yeah i'm a film editor uh you know like you say i've been doing it for a long time uh sort of got in the old school fashion i was born into it my father was an editor and sort of a producer and director but he worked in commercials oh really yeah he worked in uh in new york city in the 60s and did a lot of the sort of like all-time classic commercials had one of the first uh big post-production houses and um turns out like a lot of like these young sort of idealistic uh y- you know liberal-minded english majors wanted to be film editors <laughs> and uh, they they all got work in my dad's shop and they went on to like amazing feature film editing careers so wow. yeah i i, I kind of like come from that world i grew up in a trim bin you know if you re- if you know what an old-fashioned film trim bin is they used to put me in there when I was a baby, you know, to, you know, stay out of trouble. Uh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was sort of abusive, but I guess, you know, <laughs> didn't seem that way back then. Um, you know, and, and I just, you know, I, I just knew I wanted to be a film editor when I saw Apocalypse Now at the Cinerama Dome, uh, like the week it was released. And, uh, wow, sure. yeah, in, in, in full two, three, five glory. And, um, you know, I just thought that would be a really cool thing to do. Was never a great student and, uh, really didn't have much other direction. And, uh, yeah, so I, so I went to work and I became a schlepper and I was a, uh, a driver and I answered phones and I did all of the horrible jobs that people have to do, uh, before they start actually working in the business. These things were all related. I worked, uh, like I said, a driver for a camera rental company and I answered phones for a, uh, editing rental company. And, and I just tried to, you know, hang out and, and meet people. And, uh, and then eventually I, I, I got a gig after that became an apprentice editor and worked my way up. That's, that's kind of like the old school way of doing it. And, uh, and, and was that in New York or was that in Los Angeles? No, it was all out here. It was all out here. We moved out here when I was a kid. My dad kind of like 
got got tired of the grind in New York, so he came out here and he started uh, a trailer company. And I actually went to work for him for, as a driver for a while, and then you know I started you know hanging out with the editors and seeing what they did, and you know just mm-hmm. just loved every minute of it. But it was that was all back in the film days. And it was a it was a whole different world back then. And uh, what happened was, you know, I really got into uh, computers and, and the Mac in particular, like in around 1990. And, sure. And right around that time, the, oh, wow. the Avid came out and uh, the Media Composer. And I mm-hmm. saw it and I just was like, holy crap, this thing is the most supersonic, cool Macintosh program I've ever seen. <laughs> and um, you can edit movies on it. Uh, and I was just really thrilled because it wasn't videotape. Videotape completely uh, repulsed me because there was a bunch of numbers involved. And, you know, <laughs> you know, I was sort of like I, I loved film. But thankfully, I skipped over videotape. And, you know, I became like a real um, expert at the at the Avid pretty early on. So, uh, wow. like all of these old school editors would, you know, be calling me and asking me, like, how to work their printer. And by the way, how do you turn on the Avid? <laughs> and uh, wow. and so I, I was able to get this gig for Stephen Bochco Productions working on this show called Civil Wars because all of the editors had quit because they just transitioned to the Avid. So I took that job and they really liked me. And I, I you know, I became good friends with the uh, directors and producers up there. And uh, I was off and running. That show got uh, canceled and then they were going to do the pilot for NYPD Blue and they asked me to cut it. And um it was just awesome because, you know, it's just what, wow. what I wanted to always do. And it was it was a fantastic show also. So that was great. Oh, that's wow. amazing. Okay, so, hold on. Before – I, okay, I, right, I already have something. All I have right. To, I, have, I have something too, but you go first. I have to stop everything for something <laughs> completely unrelated to everything. Okay. Oh, okay. You, you said that Apocalypse Now was the movie that really – set you on your path yeah so as an editor how do you what is the def, what is what do you believe is the definitive edit are you a redux guy what who, what's the best cut in apocalypse now or in, in 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 any for apocalypse now you know honestly there are so many i mean you know that, 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 <laughs> know. that that's really hard to say but i mean you just get sucked in from the from the first moment those those dissolves with the helicopters that just went on forever. Sure. You know, it was just like, you know, truly uh, sort of an otherworldly experience and, um, mm, you know, uh, onward and upward from there. But, you know, I was a really big fan of, of sort of like the films uh, from the late sixties. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was a really idealistic kid living in my studio apartment in Venice when there was, st- when it was still unsafe to live in Venice. Venice. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I just wanted to work on movies that, you know, that were going to just really kind of like affect people and, and, and shake them up and, and move them emotionally and change the world, you know, like movies like The Godfather and Bonnie and Clyde and Dog Day Afternoon and, and things like that. And uh, hey, well, Deuce Bigelow, Male Gigolo isn't exactly that kind of a thing, but <laughs> hopefully hey, some people I got, saw it and loved it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, you know, you, 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 they, they don't make as many of those kind of movies. I was the perfect age for Deuce Bigelow. <laughs> so was I. And that's the scary thing. Um, <laughs> but, and then you're I'm going to sorry, Alric, you had a question also. Yeah, well, I just wanted to ask about the Avid and like what year 
it became prominent in the industry? Because I guess I just assumed it was much later, but it, it was in the early 90s when people were starting to use the Avid, um, you know, for feature films and for TV and everything. No, you got that right. I mean, because um, I was like a real sort of digital geek, uh, unspeakable to myself. I just... I loved um, the Mac and I thought it was so cool. I, I had originally had a computer, which was like sort of an IBM PC based thing with no interface and all this command line stuff. And then I saw the Mac. I was actually working on Little Man Tate with uh, my one of my mentors, Lindsay Klingman and uh, Jody Foster. And uh, Jody used to let me hang out in her office and just kind of like goof off on her Macintosh that Apple gave her. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and uh, I, I was just in love. So yeah, I was on it. I was on the Avid really early on, and and um, we uh, a guy named Steve Cohn and I who cut the first studio feature on the Avid called Lost in Yonkers. But uh, him and uh, I did a film called Teamster Boss, the Jackie Presser story, uh, which was kind of like this mob mob uh, HBO movie, and. Uh, they were kind of like really like against the idea. They really said, "No, you can't use this computer to cut it." Uh, wow, really? Cut. Yeah, it was really it was it was sort of a battle, a struggle. Because you were you would still have to digitize film at the time, right? It wasn't being shot digitally. Exactly. We 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 did a telecine transfer, and uh, and then we had to do this thing called media match, which was I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this, but. Uh, Apple used to make this this program called HyperCard, and it was kind of like a, a, a software program that you could sort of like an easy software program you can program yourself. Anyhow, I didn't program it, but this program HyperCard was used to match the, uh, the digital uh, transfer back to the film negative. And uh, oh, wow. Yeah, it was it was it was quite an endeavor. We we did a lot of consulting with with the original engineers and in fact, the inventor of Avid who actually became a friend of mine, Bill Warner. Um, so it was just this incredibly cool <laughs> okay. adventure uh, in filmmaking as well as, you know, software development. And, and you know, we knew we were doing something incredibly, you know, sort of paradigm shift. Revolutionary. Yeah, it was, yeah it was, for sure. It was pretty cool stuff. So, um, and, and again, like no one else in town was working on it. There was this one like old school show called Silk Stockings uh, that was used. I remember Silk Stockings. Yeah, they were cutting on the Avid. So late, they were the only other. Late Night USA. Right. Jeez, what a, yeah, really good memory. Uh, I was there. <laughs> <laughs> they were like the only other uh, people using the Avid. And, you know, the picture quality was really crappy, super pixelated and stuff like that. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but we did that and, uh, yeah, so it didn't really go mainstream until, you know, like a few years later, again, uh, the Bochco people were really early adopters. Uh, there's a guy in town named Larry Chernoff. He used to run a company called Encore Video and, uh, Larry's a real sort of pretty visionary guy and he bought a bunch of Avids and he talked 20th Century Fox and Stephen Bochco into using them on, on their TV shows. And, uh, yeah, they just, uh, they just, uh, luckily they hired me. I had actually pitched them to try to like go to work for them a few weeks earlier, uh, before I got hired and they just kind of like shut me down. 
And uh, oh, wow. then, the, <laughs> then there was this big debacle where like when they told all their editors they were switching to computers, uh, like all of them except for one quit. <laughs> and uh, then they called me back wow. and they said, hey, uh, you know, we hear you know the Avid. And uh, Larry, <laughs> right. Larry Chernoff put in a good word for me. So, uh, yeah, it worked out. But it didn't really get like big time adopted in, for, for a few years later, like into the mid uh, 90s. Right. Um, well, well, really quick. So after the editing NYPD Blue, um, you know, on the Avid, uh, did you go back to cutting like film after that? Or did you just were you avid for life after that point? Yeah, no way, uh, Jose. There was there was a uh, you know, I was completely the avid guy and I had no desire to go back to film. Uh, There was one sort of short detour when I was kind of consulting on this software product which was like, I mean, pre-alpha, but I was like, yeah, I'm going to use this on this movie. And it was completely crashed and burned. And it was kind of a low-budget movie. And these guys said, okay, well, you're just going to have to go back and cut it on film. And so I started cutting it on film for like a day. And then I just went to the producers. I'm like, this isn't going to work. I'm not going to, I'm not going back to film. So if if you want to get an Avid, I'll rent you my Avid for cheap. Uh, But uh yeah, no, it was pretty much it was pretty much all digital after that. Wow, that's amazing. That's awesome. Um, I have on, one on. more geeky okay. question about the Avid, and then we can move on. It's just because you know I, I edit. A... I, I feel like we're going to talk more about it in a minute. I know, I know. I was just curious. Okay. <laughs> so you can always cut so, it. So back in those days, did you guys uh, the color correction wasn't done on the Avid or anything, right? It was just the edit, and then you'd have to turn it back into film for it to be color corrected, or or how did that work? Yeah, but we had time telecine dailies and and encore video was like one of the you know one of the best uh color houses uh you know in town they had really really great people so it was pretty slick it, you know we had really good looking dailies and um uh and then we would um you know match back they would cut the negative and they would um you know lay it down to whatever it was back then digital beta or something like that and they'd color correct it off of that Wow. Amazing. Sorry. I just curious as a, from a technical perspective. Um, yeah. All right, Kellerman, take it away. <laughs> well, I just, I'm the only reason I almost cut you off is because I want to roll it back just a little bit. I want to roll it back just a little bit. Oh yeah. Me too. First of all, before the editing, you were in the sound department on back to the future. I have to touch on that just for a second. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, here, here's the deal. I, I was, I was like, you know, I, I start, you know, I said I wanted to go into the business pretty soon. So I like, right. I did like a couple of years of junior college or actually like a year and I was just like no I gotta go work in the movie business so um, (laughs) I I was the apprentice editor on Terms of Endearment and uh, then I was the apprentice editor on Buckaroo Banzai and um, yeah Yeah, that's pretty amazing (laughs) which were both really cool experiences I'm sure yeah really fun really really nuts I mean I have lots of stories about that kind of stuff but then I was like I had a I had a an early life crisis, one of my many uh, early life, uh, many life crises. <laughs> and I was like, I'm working all the time. I've got to go do something cool. So like I took um, five months off and I traveled around Europe. And then when I got back, I was like, I got to get a job. I have no more money. And I uh, heard about a job for these sound guys out in Burbank. Uh, they were called Real Sound. And it just happened that the guy who owned that company was a guy named Chuck Campbell, who was Spielberg's supervising sound editor. <laughs> And he was like this really cool old school guy. 
And there were a bunch of like nutty sound editors out there. And I spent a year out there working on a bunch of films. And yeah, Back to the Future was one of them. And I just like, you know, again, I just feel like the luck of the draw, I I, I fell in. And we did a bunch of others. You know, we did like, like you said, Spies Like Us, Three Amigos. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, you know, in sound, we were, I was kind of like working on a lot of movies at the same time. Uh, Back to the Future, though, was kind of like a big one. And we all sort of just, we, we all got crazy on that. Yeah, especially for sound. Yeah. Yeah. Amigos also. Yeah, my, my boss won the Academy Award for uh, Chuck won the Academy Award for uh, supervising sound editor uh, for Back to the Future. So uh, yeah, wow, amazing. that was pretty heady. Yeah, so I was off to a great start. I had nowhere to go but down. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But so then I want to talk about apprenticeship because is that. For, you know, how, first of all, how, what does that mean? Someone took you under their wing, right? Yeah. You know, I went to work for, uh, for Richie Marks, uh, who, you know, was the supervising film editor on Apocalypse Now and, uh, on Terms of Endearment. And I kind of knew all of them through, uh, some of my dad's relationships from back East. And, uh, you know, I was really like, I'm certainly not the smartest guy on the block, but I'm, I'm like one of the hardest workers, you know? And, you know, basically I I would get there before anyone and I would stay after everyone left. And, you know, if someone said jump, I would just say how high. And so like they like that attitude, you know, and, um, you know, as an apprentice, you do like all of the menial chores, which, you know, having been a driver and having answered phones, I was, you know, an expert at. Uh, But like you do things like coding the film and, you know, you do you start to do some syncing, but there's a lot of like re-splicing and used to be called reconstituting when they would make changes in the film. You would have to put it back in the film rolls and things like that. (laughs) Yeah, pretty mundane stuff. But, uh, you know, there's. A certain of uh, pride of, uh, of of quality there, you know, of, of good work, and um, of course, you know that. But that's the that was the apprentice route. But but while you were doing all that, you were sort of by osmosis getting all of the other aspects of the film editing process through, mm-hmm. for example, the assistant editors and the editor themselves. Because back then, you know, and and this is sort of one of the things from the film days that we don't have as much anymore. We used to be able to kind of like, you know, sort of interface more. Nowadays, it's a little bit more siloed. Everybody's kind of like doing their own thing and you really don't interface as much. It's just sort of the, you know, you had to bring film to people and you had to, you know, stand there and hold the film for people. Now, right. <laughs> now no one has to hold the hard drives, hold the film. So, um, right. yeah, you know, it was a really valuable part of the process um, as, you know, is assisting, you know, hence one of the reasons I, I created that course that I told you guys about, you know, master the workflow feature film assistant editor immersion, because, that was also and 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 really still is to a great extent the traditional route of how you became you know sort of a feature and television film editor man you worked your way up it's it's a craft and it's and it's a guild so you you know there was an apprenticeship program and you know, uh, as much as things have changed, that's still really the primary way people become editors. I, I mean, yes, you know, John Ottman went to USC Film School with Brian Singer and he cut his films back then. And so he automatically became his editor. Um, sure. But, you know, you can count the number of people who have done that, like basically on, on one, maybe and a half hands. It's the majority of people who become film editors and who are film editors today 
and features long form scripted you know did it by working their way through the through the ranks that's that was exactly going to be my next question is does apprenticeship still exist today and is it just about answering the right ad or you know meeting the right person so that you you know who will allow you to who, who will mentor you yeah you you, you, you hit it uh, spot on i mean it's really not about answering an ad per se, but it's about developing uh, a network and developing relationships with everyone from fellow assistants who are going to, you know, like you right. and want to work with you. And then, of course, you know, the the sort of holy grail uh, is meeting an editor who you really hit it off with. You can come up through the ranks with and who eventually might give you a shot at cutting a scene. And, and with, you know, with digital, it's it's so much easier for editors to do that, to kind of let someone kind of see. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, I'm not saying that it happens all the time. You know, it really depends on the relationship you develop with, with an editor. And it's sort of like, you know, sort of a trust and, you know, a, you know, a confidence level. And, um, you know, it also depends on, you know, like how insecure the person is and stuff like that. They think you're going to take their job. <laughs> right. But, uh, but, <laughs> right. But yeah, but you know that that's that's the ideal, and I I always sort of was pretty upfront about you know hey I you know I really want to cut I want to be an editor and if there's ever an opportunity to let me cut I really appreciate it, and some guys you know basically like threw a ton of film at me and other people were like uh, that's not going to happen so yeah it just depends on the person right yeah I mean I worked for this one guy in this TV movie of the week for ABC back in the day and he didn't even want to come to work he just like wanted to be on his boat all the all the time you know. Oh. <laughs> He was like this old school Hollywood dude, like completely opposite from those New York guys I described who like basically just said, yeah, cut as much as you want. And I was wow, like, that's awesome, yeah, though. it was crazy. It was a great opportunity. Nice. And so what is the difference between apprentice and assistant editor? Just more responsibilities. Assistant is the step up. Yeah. I mean, you know, the shit flows down. So, uh, right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's less, it's less grunt work. It's sort of a more um, close relationship with the actual editor and sometimes the director. You know, some films are so big uh, that, you know, the first assistant really becomes sort of like a, uh, you know, like a foreman or f- hmm. woman, uh, you know, four person, you know, managing the, you know, the cutting room because, you know, you could have like five or six assistants on a, on a, on a big budget film. Interesting. Yeah. So do small scenes ever get tossed to assistants to edit, you know, like if it's something like basic, you know, or like assembling the movie or something like that, or doing a rough or something. Like I say, you know, it's, it's kind of like, depending on the relationship that you develop with an editor, I don't think like if you go to work for an editor, the first week he's going to throw you stuff, but I mean, you know, it could happen, but, but you know, it's (laughs) more about sort of developing that relationship, that trust probably, you know, would come after maybe working on a film with them. And it also depends on the workload, man. You know, I mean, it's like if the editor is buried, you know, it's great to just sort of like throw like, let's say a montage at, at an assistant that, you know, they can really sink their teeth into uh, because, you know, montages can be kind of like rabbit holes. And uh, that, in fact, happened on uh, War of the Roses. That whole montage, which ends with, you know, the slamming of the clock, was basically thrown at me because there was so much other film uh, and, and actual, you know, dialogue scenes for the editor cut. 
that it kind of really took a load off her hands. Wow, cool. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, that was nice. I have one last question about this first topic. And basically, having these amazing experiences working on these really big movies um, as an apprentice and, a, and an assistant, mm-hmm. like what are some of the big t- takeaways that you got from that those experiences? Just like one or two like things that you learned that you've taken with you on your career. Well, you know, um, because I wanted to be an editor, uh, you know, I would do my best to sort of like hang out with the editor and and talk about the cut and the performances and, and and you know sort of like you know the the subtle details of of why they would do something and you know what was the thinking behind this so you really kind of like were able to get into an editor's head uh it, it's again it's it's not so much like that these days you kind of like don't have that freedom because you're not sitting behind them holding film trims while they're trying to you know move things on a flatbed <laughs> right. or a steam back. Uh, but, you know, that those are sort of like the really, you, you know, the really great moments. And, you know, because we were working on some really great films, I mean, let's face it, you know, uh, working with Michael Douglas and Danny DeVito and even Kathleen Turner on The War of the Roses, let's say, Right. You know, that was a rush and it was, you, you know, yeah. and it was a, a fairly, you know, big budget film for the time. Uh, you know, we had a great DP named Steve Burham who him and Danny just like went to town in terms of using the camera and they built these magnificent sets over on the Fox lot. So, uh, you know, just just the thrill of, of you know, I, I, I grew up, you know, watching a lot of TV and movies and, you know, I was kind of a starstruck kid from New York. So it was just like. I was pretty impressed, you know, it was, it was, I was riding high pretty, pretty, pretty good. I think anybody would be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Situation. Seriously. Really enjoyed it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they beat it out of me. God damn it. <laughs> oh, did they? <laughs> Doesn't sound like it. <laughs> um, so Colin, unless you have something. Uh, I, w- I just, bef- before we move on to the next uh, whole sure. big chunk here, I just want to ask real quickly about the Tracy Ullman show. Yeah. I saw that you yeah. were a producer on that associate producer yeah um that was right after uh war of the roses and you know i had worked with uh jim brooks and and his company on terms of endearment and uh then uh we did war of the roses so you know i kind of knew jim and richie was his editor so you know i got to know him and his partner uh Richard Sakai, who who runs even to this day his uh, production company, and they were having like some like problems with the, with the mix. The mixes were going on too long, and they you know and, and Richard Sakai excuse me Richard Sakai asked me if I would come in and sort of like check it out and you know see if there's anything that I could kind of like any solutions I could come up with. And I did it. You know, again, it was fun. It was kind of an exciting time. I had just come off of War of the Roses and I didn't really have a job. So I thought this will be fun. Wow. And it wow. was, you know, it was, it was cool. You know, I kind of supervised the mixes and I brought them down from like a day to like, you know, 10 hours. <laughs> and uh, yeah, because they were, they were sort of being run by kind of like these guys that didn't have a lot of experience and, you know, sort of like didn't understand like the, uh, the schedules. And, and anyway, um, you know, it was a lot of fun. And that, that was the year that the, uh, the Simpsons were born. I was just about to ask, were you there for the Simpsons? Yeah. Yeah. That was the first, wow. first season of the Simpsons. And, uh, I was always a Matt Groening, you know, fan. I always read his, um, sure. his column in the LA weekly. And, you know, this, this show was just, 
you know, kind of amazing. And they had, they had really funny and, and great writers and they were a lot of the writers from the Tracy Ullman show kind of like right. moved over. And, um, and it was a heady time. Yeah. I, I remember the Christmas party for the Simpsons, the first season. And it was just like, <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. It was crazy. They rented a whole stage on, uh, at the Fox lot. And yeah, it was, it was, it was a fun time. It was crazy. And again, you know, they were still cutting that, that, that stuff on, they were cutting that stuff on linear tape for, uh, the first couple of seasons. Linear tape. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I could geek out forever about this stuff. <laughs> right. so we, we can move on. We can, we can talk about, Back to the Future for a whole hour <laughs> if we wanted to, but but let's not do that. So you already covered how you went from being an assistant to editing your first feature, you know, talking about like you just became the avid guy, yeah. basically, and that was sort of your way in. Mm-hmm. Ta- talk to us about like how you edited your first feature, like how did you approach it? You know, was it kind of an overwhelming experience to be handed a, a full movie and be like, okay, here you go? Or by that point, did you feel confident and ready to take it on? Or like, you know, just talk us through how you approached it. Well, you know, um, one of my mentors Richie Marks, uh, you know, gave me some advice when I sort of wanted to make the transition. You know, I had done a couple of pictures uh, where I got, you know, big films where I got associate editor, additional editor credit. And, you know, I had those scenes on a reel and, you know, I shopped it around. But, you know, he told me, he said, look, man, if you're going to make this transition, you can't go back to assisting because otherwise you're going to really, you know, have trouble moving forward. People won't know whether to think of you as an assistant or an editor. That was probably a little bit easier to do back then. I don't know if people, you know, whether they get themselves into financial situations where, you know, they have to work and make a lot of money because as an assistant on big features, you can make a lot of money. Uh, I was making a lot of money on films like War of the Roses and things like that. But I was, you know, I was working, you know, 60 and 70 hours a week. But I, I decided to bite the bullet. Um, you know, I kind of just realized that, you know, I'll just, I'll see. And I got a job working for Roger Corman. I, I cut a film for uh, him called Dead Space, uh, starring Brian, Brian Cranston. Yeah, I saw that. I was like, wow, who wow. the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, Brian was absolutely, uh, to say he was nobody would be <laughs> kind, but, uh, you know, it was shot in 17 days. And, you know, I think it had a budget of like $300,000, which seems like a lot of money now. But, uh, y- you know, Roger was just knocking out like a film a month back then. Right. <laughs> Roger Corman was a madman. Yeah, no. And it was like at the studio down in Venice, you know, right off of uh, Ocean Avenue. And I just embraced it, man. I just I just went after it wholeheartedly. You know, I slept in the cutting room when I had to. And um, we cut the movie. They shot it in 17 days. And um, the movie ended up being only 77 minutes. <laughs> so, oh, wow. So we had, to, we had to steal some footage from, like, Battle Beyond the Stars and stuff. And, oh, know, wow. So I'm, I'm ha- <laughs> which Jim Cameron uh, and, and Gail Ann Hurd had credits on. So I was like, and I think Dan O'Bannon also, you know, like some real. Oh, really? Oh, legends wow. Had, Amazing. Yeah. Like, and, uh, you know, they didn't direct it or anything. I think Jim Jim Cameron was like the art director on it. Anyway, um, I'm, I'm oh, pleased wow. to say that I've, I've worked with Jim Cameron in a, in a sort of a. Uh, removed away <laughs> but uh but no we stole footage from that movie and we beefed it up to about 85 minutes and uh and we finished it was quick it was um pretty dirty we were working in his studio which was sort of like a fire hazard 
and um, wow. I had my first feature credit, so I was, <laughs> and, I was psyched. Yeah. And how, and how many days did they give you to edit it? Um, I think I had like a month. Okay. Yeah. And that seems long compared to 17 days, but I guess most features are edited, what, in more like three months or six months or something? You know, it's, it's usually concurrent with the schedule, so I think they shot for 17 days, and then, you know, I had a, I had a cut pretty quickly after that, and, you know, Corman was a finely tuned machine. They, they wanted to knock those things out, so like... You know, there were a bunch of these young junior executives and they looked at the film and then we got Roger's notes and then it was like basically, you know, finish it. <laughs> wow. There you go. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Unreal. Yeah. yeah. So was that basically like how you got your next project was like, okay, you, you edited your first movie, you know, now it's like, okay you could just get another one. Is it that easy or was it kind of a struggle to get your second project? So in, it, yeah, it was a struggle. And in spite of uh, Richie's advice, I did take another job as an assistant, but I sort of like entered it with uh, the understanding that I would be getting to cut. Oh. That was uh, my, my understanding with uh, the editor, Lindsay Klingman, uh, you know, who's kind of a legend in her own time also. Yeah. Uh, you know, she won the Academy award for uh, one of the three editors on Cuckoo's Nest. And, uh, you know, she was an editor on Hearts and Minds and stuff like that. Went on to cut most of Danny DeVito's films uh, and Jodie Foster's films. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and a, and a really, really awesome lady. Um, and, um, you know, she was cool with it. She was like, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll give you an opportunity to cut. And we went on to Little Man Tate, and uh, I, did, I, did, I did a bunch of cutting on that. And uh, pretty soon after that, I, I discovered The Avid, and then – that became sort of like the focus, like my obsession. And like I said, I became an expert at it. And uh, I took another gig with this guy, Steve Cohen, um, who was actually one of my dad's assistants in New York and came out to California when we moved out here um, and uh, worked out of the garage. My dad was cutting trailers and stuff. And um, we, um, we did that first Avid show and then it was just like never taking another assistant editing gig. I'm just gonna cut. And and luckily enough, I actually auditioned for one that I didn't get. They actually had me cut a scene, um, and I can't remember the name of the show. Uh, but it it sure wasn't um, working for Stephen Bochco and ultimately doing in what so I, I I lucked out. What can I say? And then after that, it was just yeah. I, I, ne- wow. I never had to assist again after that, which was cool. Because what happened was, um, after I did the first season of uh, NYPD Blue, shortly after that, Greg Hoblet asked me to cut Fallen with Denzel Washington. Oh, wow. Which, was, which I love, yeah. by the way. Hey, yeah. Thanks, I saw that when it came out on VHS. Um, <laughs> I will never forget that movie. Very, very awesome. Great work. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. Yeah, it was, it was just, it was a great experience. And, and you know, Greg Hoblet, I think, is like one of the real underrated feature directors i mean the guy the guy made primal fear he discovered uh you know ed norton and laura linney right and right. i thought i thought fallen was a little bit underrated but i think it just freaked too many people out it was totally <laughs> underrated yeah totally but it's underrated. that it's like really cool like you know sci-fi horror-ish sort of thing and yeah it definitely yeah, has washington vibe. is great everyone's yeah. great john goodman the yeah, john goodman, interesting too because you have to do a lot of cutting you know back and forth as people walk past him and the things changing bodies and all that yeah and greg loved to do like tricks with you know with motion and 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 stuff and you know he really kind of liked to 
you know, to sort of mix it up with the, uh, you know, with some of the in-camera visual stuff that, uh, you know, right. you got Tom Siegel to, sh- to shoot. And uh, and then, you know, w- because we finished it on film, we did like a bleach bypass process, which, you know, like only the, you know, most insane people were doing, y- you know. What does that creative. mean? Uh, a bleach bypass process is a, it's a, it's a photochemical process where you, do something that can like I don't really know the exact um, the exact you know dis- description, but it's it's something where you can actually destroy the negative and it's really dangerous. And um, really, you get you get this super rich sort of contrasty sort of chiaroscuro look. And yeah, that's interesting. It, it was really awesome. And now, of course, you can you can apply that with a plugin in Resolve. So. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> How times have changed. Wow, that's interesting. That's why that movie looks like that. What? Okay, yeah. What other movies have done that? Yeah, I think I think like you know, Storaro used it a bit, and just like some really you know visually. You know, Interesting. really amazing people. So Lawrence, um, I mean, I don't know if Fallen is the right movie, uh, but what I wanted to do was like have you kind of take us through your process of editing a project and what your experience is like as as an editor. Um, well, you know, you on a movie for the class. like that. Yeah. Oh. To, get, to get really into the process. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Well, I don't know. I mean, but you know, just like 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 to basically tell us like how like how you approach a piece, and if you don't, if if that's too much, I don't know. <laughs> no, but, no, uh, no, it, it's not too much. And and actually, <laughs> we haven't done that class yet. We we've really only focused on the oh, assisting okay. assisting part of it. So I I love to talk about editing. It's it's a kind of a trip because I I was a bit of a you know. And still am uh, a bit of a high strung kid. And, and, you know, I was really anxious and, you know, wanted to prove myself back, you know, even into cutting things like, you know, NYPD Blue and Fallen. And, you know, my approach was sort of fraught with a lot of insecurity in the early days. So it's changed a lot. And, um, you know, so that was kind of like how I approached it then. But, you know, how I approach it now is, is much more sort of relaxed. You, you know, you, you, get a, you get a little older and, and you stop really, you know, giving, you know, a serious shit about, uh, you know, certain things and, you know, <laughs> people's opinions. And you, you start feeling like, you know, well, if this person doesn't like my work, they can fire me. It doesn't really matter. Right. Uh, you, wow. you know, eventually you'll get another job doing something, you know, whatever. You know, I, I, I'm sure it'll be editing, you know, so because uh, I really can't do anything else. And anyway, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to be arrogant or anything, but my approach nowadays, it comes from a place where I just really like to watch the film, watch the dailies and just see what hits me and, and just start start throwing stuff together, which is really not a lot different than the old days, except I'm just not ridden with the anxiety of, you know, of, you know, <laughs> right. every cut. Is this the right choice? Is this the right performance? Because, you know, frankly, I think my instincts have gotten you know better over the years about performance. And also m- my father told me something when I was a kid, which, you know, it kind of like it just rings so true nowadays, which is it's only splicing tape and, and it's even better now. It's only a version in the Avid. It can be changed right, so right. quickly. And, <laughs> right. you know, I, I don't sort of get attached in an egotistical way anymore. I think like, you know, maybe when you're young, you're like, oh, that cut is so good. You know, how dare they change that cut or they're such idiots. Now it's just like I enjoy the process so much more of like, you know, making my first assembly, uh, you know, my first cut, uh, putting as much of what the director did into it so he can or she can see all of the, 
you know, all of the material, you know, in its full glory. So usually the cuts are, you know, they're, they're long, right. uh, they're not painfully long, but you know, you cut the script and you go with your instinct and you kind of just, you don't fret, you know, because nowadays with digital, you're getting, you're getting buried with so much film that there's no time to fret. You just got to keep moving on to keep up right. with, with, with the schedule and with camera. So, you know, it's like much more of like an accepting attitude about, you know, what I put together in terms of like my first assembly and stuff like that. And, um, you know, it's really sort of just going through the material over the last, you know, few films, uh, you know, I've been working, you know, with Marlon uh, Wayans and, and crew and, and this, uh, the same director, Mike Titus. Oh, nice. Are you able to say what movie that is? Yeah. Yeah. It's called Sex Tuplets and it's uh, coming out in uh, middle of August. Uh, Marlon. Oh, nice. Mar- That's great. Marlon plays seven roles. He's. Um, <laughs> oh my goodness. I, lo- I think Marlon Wayans is super talented. I mean, I like all the yeah. Wayans brothers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, he's he's crazy. Um, but insane. like, you know, what happens with 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 Marlon is is that you know like he'll deliver a joke like five different ways and you'll have to cut it five different ways and you'll have five different versions. Right. And basically, you know, you decide which are the best two or three and you try to make sense of them in, in like sort of a scene structure. And then you have two in your back pocket and um, you, you know, so it, cutting improv comedy is such a, it's such a different kind of experience than cutting a dramatic film. Because, you know, most of the time, most people stick to the script for, for you know, for, drama. for the most part. Yeah. Right. yeah. For drama, for action, for pretty much for anything except for improv comedy. And, and most most good comedy is, you know, comes out of improv. Right. So it's it's just sort of plowing through the material. And again, getting back to like what the assistants do nowadays. I mean, they shot 200 hours of da- almost 200 hours of dailies on this film that I'm just finishing. Uh, wow. Incredible. Which, which, which ended up being a 90 minute movie. And, um, <laughs> right. you know, so that, that's, that's a pretty brutal ratio. So it was really important and it is really important for my assistants to sort of catalog and mark up the material so I can not lose my sanity when I'm looking for things. Everything is, is put into this, this avid program called script sync, uh, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but basically it's a way to, it's sort of a way to, you know, instantly access every version of a line. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 pretty powerful. Like an auto-labeler? I don't know. If, I'm not sure what an auto-labeler is. Well, no, I just kind of made that term up to describe something that auto-labels <laughs> film clips. Unfortunately, nice one. Unfortunately, no. Unfortunately, no. What, what, the, what the assistant has to do is actually go through – they 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 they're able to imp- they still manually label they're in, they're they're able to input the script into this program script sync, but again what we're talking about is we're talking about shitloads of improv. So they add like every line of improv, you know, verbatim. So right, when Marlon right. says, "Hey, what about the time I said this?" and you know, then I just type in this, you just quick and then it. boom. It comes up in this program, and every time he said this in a take or over two or three takes or whatever, 
you know, I just click on it and boom, there's that line. Boom. So there's this process of cataloging and organizing the dailies now. Wow. That's a lifesaver. I mean, because right. nobody looks at dailies anymore. There's just too much. And, you know, you're you're just spending too much of the day just trying to cut the material. So And that's by virtue of it being digital. So we're not worried about wasting film or right. not having enough film or whatever. Digital cinematography, absolutely. You don't have to right. you don't have to process the film. You can just it, film and film and film. It doesn't cost anything, so they never turn off the camera. All right. So so what is that ratio compared to like, you know, working on a film like Fallen or Assassins or something? Like, you know, two hundred hours of footage to a 90 minute film like what was it in the old days roughly you you can't even compare it it's 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you'd have to measure it in feet yeah no no, right. no but i mean like if, if i was to convert it into hours you know maybe there would be what what was that old you know sort of like ratio thing people would say like you know maybe they they shoot five to one on a feature or six to one on a feature and they shoot yeah. Tw- yeah. they shoot 20 to one on a commercial <laughs> you know like a commercial like they sure yeah and they just you know, you right. know, same same production schedule. But yeah, sure. yeah, exactly. So it was just a fraction. I mean, if we had an hour of dailies when I started out, that would mean six rolls of film you would have to sit through. Right. <laughs> uh, either after after they finish shooting or at lunch. And that was a lot of dailies, six rolls. So we're talking about getting like 20 or 30 rolls of film a day. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. No, it's brutal. They never turn off the camera. So I'd have a lot of takes that would run like, you know, the card, those those red cards or whatever they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the red mags. Yeah, yeah. They, would only, they only hold, the ones we had only held, you know, at 8K, only held like 33 minutes. So <laughs> right. that would be a take a lot of times, you know. And uh, Oh, my wow. God. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's <laughs> like this, it's like this thing that a lot of people, as much as, People have learned about editing because of, you know, the Avid, Final Cut Pro, Premiere, and what have you. The feature film, you know, sort of experience as an editor is really sort of like, it's sort of like a trip. It's kind of like being on acid sometimes. So, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you're obviously uh, an Avid guy, but how do you feel about Final Cut? I I cut on Final Cut. I'm just curious. Well, you know, I I was a big uh, evangelist for Final Cut. I actually started one of the first Final Cut websites called Tupop.com. I don't know if you ever. Wow. Uh, did, did you ever heard of two? Have you? Uh, you're probably too young, but I. I, I am no, not. No, I'm not, not have two pop either now. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't editing back then. Yeah, no, it, it, it was a big one back in the early days. It was. Uh, I was actually a consultant to those guys uh, uh, before they went to Apple, and then after they went to Apple, I, I did some consulting on Final Cut, and um, interesting. And uh, I started this website because I was so jazzed about it because there was going to become a program that only cost a thousand dollars. Yeah, nine hundred. Right. That's how they advertised that nine hundred ninety nine dollars for for Final Cut, and I was so psyched. Yeah. I was so excited that editing was going to come to the masses and it was going to democratize the medium. You didn't have. I, I mean, I spent one hundred twenty thousand dollars on my first Avid guys. You know what I'm saying? It, yeah. So wow. this was like wow. a big. That's so crazy. So so I loved I loved Final Cut. I loved what it represented, and of course I loved Apple. So they could do no wrong. 
And, um, you know, it rocked and, uh, and, um, I, I cut a couple of features on it, uh, up to seven. And then, um, you know, when they switched over to 10, right. Uh, when they turned everyone against, them. well, you, you know, I didn't go against them. It was just like, I, I just didn't have time. All your plugins were bad. <laughs> I just didn't have time. <laughs> I didn't have time to learn, learn the new paradigm. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Well, they kind of made it like iMovie basically. They like turned Final Cut into no, no, iMovie. No, that's only roughly. I mean, I don't know. I I tried. To, I cut on X twice, and I don't think I'll ever do it again. Um, just because I don't know. I just I just can't do it. It's I'm just so used it's, it's to. It's definitely its own workflow. Yeah, it, that's for now, sure. Now, I was just curious. I, I was just now curious. I'm a Premiere guy, so you I, know. I would, honestly, um, I would love to. I would love to learn Final Cut X. I think it has. I think the whole magnetic timeline idea is really interesting. I, yeah, it's great. I, I, I'm friendly with some editors who who've cut some features in it, and you know they love it and they rave about it. And of course, the integration, you know, with Apple products is really tight. Right. You know, so that's that's a big win. I've worked a bunch in Premiere. I like it a lot. You know, again, it's that similar metaphor. And what I love about Premiere is that you can pretty much throw anything into it. And it'll make, you know, it's like a blender that'll make a great smoothie every time, you know, it's just like, it can handle all kinds <laughs> right. of different formats. And, you know, yeah. and I use it sort of for like my personal work. I, you know, I cut, I cut the course on it, you know, and, and, and I think that they're really trying hard to make some inroads in, in long form. And I think they are, let's face it, they're a $138 billion market cap company, you know, they're definitely somebody to, to contend with. Um, I don't think they're going anywhere. You know what I mean? So I I think it's important for, for people to learn as much software as they can, whether it be Premiere or Final Cut, certainly the Avid. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I want to go back to the process question again, because kind of how I meant it was more like literal. Like, do you watch dailies? You, you, you basically said you don't anymore in the digital era that you don't really watch all the dailies and you just get in. Do you already have selects that are, you know, picked from set that are marked for you by your assistants or no. like how, do, how does that work? No. So, so what they do is they organize the material, they mark it up and they comment on it. When I say mark it up, it's they have to put markers on every time an actor will reset in a take. So if you're in a 33 minute take, an actor might reset their line, you know, five or six times per line sometimes, you know, just depending on, that's that's certainly the way Marlon works. So they'll go through and basically, I, I do watch dailies. I, I don't mean I don't watch them at all. Obviously, I'm, uh, I've got to edit the film, but I sort of like, I do a lot of high speeding through them. And, you know, as soon as I find sort of like, um, you know, a performance that seems pretty good. Yeah. I'll start, I'll start like building, building out a select reel. You know, sometimes I'll have three or four readings of, of something, uh, like back to back in a row. And then if Marlon gets into a groove or an actor gets into a groove, I'll, I'll start intercutting, you know, just, just dialogue stuff and basically try to make my way to the end. But it's, it's never necessarily like that. Sometimes I'll just be looking through the stuff and I'll see something that's really funny and it might be for, you know, towards the end of the scene and I'll just pull that. Right. And, you know, I'll just start. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll just start selecting stuff. And, um, you know, I'll goof off on that uh, for for quite a long time. And, and basically what I do is, you know, I, I sort of get myself into a jam time wise. And I, you know, and I have this like internal clock that says, hey, you better stop screwing around. You really got to finish this scene. So, you know, it's kind of like this self-imposed um, deadline. Um, yeah, you're usually working by yourself or do you are you constantly cutting with uh, 
an assistant or with the director in the room? Uh, not during the assembly, not during the production. No, I'm completely by myself. Hmm. The temptation is always there to check your email and shit like that. Of and, course, um, of course. and you know, you really, obviously when you're getting buried in that kind of, that kind of amount of material. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's just like the selecting process and then, you know, looking for pieces that I think might be better here and there. The first cut, the assembly part is really kind of like, in, in a certain respect, it's like the most creative part because you just get to kind of like, you know, if stuff isn't working or, you know, isn't as scripted, you kind of, you know, or stuff isn't working in some respect, you can kind of just make shit up. And um, that's fine. <laughs> Are you are you working off of notes from a script supervisor or anything or starred takes or any of that kind of stuff? Or are you just kind of like just looking at everything and going through all the, the, the takes and just watching everything? Well, you know, depending on, uh, you know, how good the script su- supervisor's notes are. Yeah, absolutely. I'll reference them. And, but, you know, I, I pretty much, you know, I'll just go off on my own tan- tangents to, to a great extent and, you know, I'll put something together and then sometimes I'll go back and I'll check the notes and I'll see if there was anything that, you know, was pointed out. But, you know, Mike's, Mike's so busy on the set and, you know, they have to get so much done per day, especially on a film like we just finished. It was so intense with Marlon playing all these different characters that the days were long and he didn't really have... He didn't have a lot of time to give me a lot of, you know, specific notes. There were very specific notes about the visual effects stuff because that had to be done in a certain way, but not really performances, more 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 in general takes and things like that. So it, it's a it's a combination. Again, some some directors are real are, are much more specific, but again with a character with a guy like Marlon, you can't be because He's throwing so much stuff against the wall that, you know, it would be impossible really to make notes. <laughs> right. You know, so you just sort of dive in and you just throw something together. And, you know, this is my third film with these guys. So, you know, you know, thankfully they, they've been, you know, they like what I do. So it seems to be working out. Yeah. Nice. And uh, the other two were Naked and Fifty Shades of Black. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And those were fun. Nice. Uh, Fifty Shades of Black was a blast because it was like a real low budget movie and um oh really yeah it was it's very very funny i saw it last year yeah no <laughs> that cracked it's, me it's, up. <laughs> it's, it's it's crazy and um you know they shot that in like i forget like 25 days and it was under five million. Oh wow and um wow but it was the same thing i mean it wasn't quite as much material because obviously they shot for half the time but it was still a lot of material <laughs> considering and uh we had to put like an assistant on at night uh just to, to oh, keep wow. up and stuff but you know it's kind of like that was sort of like a little bit of a throwback to like i don't want to say the corman days but like the old days where you know there was you know the smaller films there wasn't any money and it was a little bit more gorilla and we had a lot of fun i mean so much crazy stuff got cut out of that movie just because it was completely inappropriate oh oh really oh wow (laughs) i can imagine yeah (laughs) i i mean you know and and that's sort of like you know i'm sitting there watching you know some dailies I, i remember one night i'm just sitting there watching marlon just go off on a tangent and i'm like literally laughing so hard i have tears in my eyes and I'm just like saying, I can't believe I get paid to do this. This is like insane. And, uh, you know, trying to make <laughs> That's awesome. trying to make sense out of it. But it, it was fun because it was like quick and dirty, you know, relatively speaking. I think we finished that film in like four, four and a half months. And I developed a great relationship with those guys. And uh, we're, we're, we're good collaborators and good friends now. And um, yeah, it was fun. Nice. Awesome. 
God, I'm rambling on about shit, aren't I? No, no, no this is great. great. I, great. I have a million questions. I'm I'm waiting for Carmen to ask questions because he's been a little quiet over here. Well, I think we got to start working towards the end here. But I, I I don't know. I mean, well, I guess we probably should, but should I mean, I still have more process. All, all I have some process questions, <laughs> you know. All right, well, you you take us wherever you want, Kellerman. You guide the well, train. Okay. All right. Well, look, I just wanna I wanna I wanna get to now. Is sex talk blitz what you're currently editing? Yes. Well, we just locked picture. You know, it's like I'm, I'm describing it as a completely uh, new kind of visual effects movie. We we have nearly 1,400 visual effects shots in it. Holy moly. Holy moly. Yeah, yeah <laughs> wow. it's insane. And what is that? Is that face replacement? No, no. There's some head replacements, but a lot of multi-layered comps. I mean, we have we have a lot of like shots where Marlon is playing seven characters in the shot. Wow. And then there's shots. And from- it's just a still camera? No, no. It's a moving camera. It's motion control. Wow. So that's what makes it kind of so cool. Um, so cool. Yeah. Motion control. Yeah. Mike is a, a really, you know, a really good visual artist. And, uh, you know, he's got a like an art school background. But he's also like this completely get your hands dirty. You know, I know every toy and gadget on the set kind of guy. So I, I think he, you know, he drives some DPs crazy. But, uh you know, he's he's like this one of these, I think, is like a new breed of, of director who, you know, you come up, you know, knowing being able to make a film with a DSLR and just think about it. I mean, people didn't have that opportunity back in the old days. You know, I mean, if you were to get, you know, able to rent a 16 millimeter camera, that was a miracle. Now you've got these freaking dollies and gimbals and and they're also cheap and you can get your hands on them and stuff so anyway mike is really you know really well educated on all aspects of of the directing um job and um he really went to town and he made a very visually interesting uh comedy uh that has a crap load of, of visual effects um Everything from, like I say, multi-layer layer composites, head replacements. We got a we got a CGI bull in there, and um, we have uh, lots of blue screen, you know, stuff shot on stage, makeup fixes, just crazy, Bill, man. Just <laughs> I get tired just thinking about it. Wow. These these poor visual effects guys have been working like seven days a week for weeks. Oh, I love that. And wow. that's almost like a practical effect in some ways. Yeah, yeah that sounds fun though. Yeah, you know, cool. to get to get edit something like that with all these moving pieces and, you know, new types of approaches to do to do visual effects and you know, tell a story, especially in a comedy of all things. Like that's super cool. Yeah, and 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 it, like you know, again, it's 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 sort of like a big leap forward from like the things that you know Michael Keaton did in Multiplicity, and uh, and, and, it, right. it, and even Eddie Murphy did in, in Eddie Murphy. Yeah, I was gonna say Nutty Professor. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's totally a different experience. You, you guys are gonna trip when you see it. Some of the tricks that Mike pulled off, and uh, nice. It, it, yeah, it's a lot of fun. So I think just you know by virtue of that, and plus Marlon is is nuts. I mean, he, he just like, he will click into another character, like so committed and so holy that, uh, uh, you know, he's a really, he's really quite a talented guy. He actually uh, is in New York now doing Sofia Coppola's new movie. Oh, really? Oh, awesome. Yeah. With uh, Bill Murray and Rashida Jones. So, um, oh, that's cool. I think he's kind of coming into his own and, um, you know, he's, he's, he's got a lot of, uh, a lot of career left in him. So, yeah. Nice. So Kellerman, take your last question then. And, and I'm, I'm getting ready for mine. Well, 
I mean, my next question is actually just to learn more about his class. So if you have anything okay. before we get to that, well, then let's go ahead and start with you. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to talk just a little bit about your back to your approach again, going from you know, different genres. So you, you just kind of talked to us about how you approach a comedy, but is it any different when you work on a drama or an action film? Like, is it the same thing where you put multiple things together to, to show the director, um, you know, in your assembly stage, or is it much more like controlled because there's, there's not that, that element of improvisation or talk to us a little bit better how, how it works. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, I think you're right. You know, it's, it's not as, um, you know, you're, you're sort of like looking more at the subtleties of, of performance. I mean, you're always looking for the subtleties and things like that, but you know, you're sort of more adhering to the script and you know, they're, they're usually adhering closer to the script. So uh, you sort of get to, you know, I don't know, maybe sort of concentrate on story a little bit earlier, maybe, but, but you know, it's, it's a very similar process. You're sort of letting the film speak to you as you watch it and you're finding what resonates with you and you're basically going with your instinct and you're solving problems. I mean, that's what an editor does, whether it's, you know, uh, a crazy visual effects film or, you know, or a dramatic um, piece, you know, you're trying to solve problems. uh, Sometimes, you know, uh, uh, that they don't know about because of, uh, you know, that it, it just didn't come out until, you know, you see it on, on, on the dailies. Uh, but but I think, again, the approach is very similar. You're just looking for the best material and you're you're hoping you have good performances. And when you don't have good performances, you try to create them um, out of what you do have. And whether that's cheating lines or cheating, cheating words or syllables, things like that. I was going to say, people probably don't realize how much the edit can affect a performance or a scene yeah i mean you know uh sometimes like if you've got an actor that's uh, you know in a dramatic piece that's you know sort of like taking big pauses between every line you know you can actually speed up the the pauses and you know nowadays you can make that pretty seamless Uh, so so it's a different set of problems that you're solving but i think you know overall it's the same job it's just probably, you know, not as um, insane, you know, depending, you know, but a lot of times, you know, these, you know, you, you know, dramas will be, you know, they'll be sometimes more independent, maybe not as mu- not as big budget. So they'll have their own set of insanity, like crazy schedules or, you know, you still have to you still have to solve the issues. I mean, depending on how long the script is, I mean, you know, riding in cars with boys was you know, the first cut was five and a half hours long. Oh my God! Seriously? Holy shit! Holy yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So sometimes you know you. Oh my God! <laughs> you'll, you'll work on a. Wait. So how did how did that happen? <laughs> um, you know, just sort of like you know, veering off off the path. Scenes that you know uh, were shot that you know ultimately never needed to be record, you know needed, never needed to be shot you know actually there was there was quite a bit of improv with drew and and Brittany murphy wow interesting. you know um i, I think uh i'm just trying to think of you know some other films that you know you know a three-hour first cut is not is not surprising the, sure. the first cut on right the first, yeah, the yeah, first yeah. cut on um on on this film was about two hours and 45 minutes 
Right. Which was pretty good. Right. Yeah. Fallen is a pretty long movie. That, that must have been a long yeah, first yeah, cut. Yeah, that was that was easily a three hour first cut. So again, you know, you're you're dealing with with sort of a different animal and that you've got to bring bring the story into some sort of manageable time frame and still right. be able to tell it, you know, as elegantly as possible. You know, in War of the Roses, uh, Danny actually asked me to come on after they had, you know, we had finished the film just to put together the DVD extras, if uh, every anybody remembers what those are. Um, That's cool. I still watch them. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah, those. Yeah, like, uh, and he called uh, he, he, he called it Killing Off My Little Darlings. And it was just like, I don't know, it was probably <laughs> like, you know, 25 or 30 minutes of just stuff we had to cut out of the movie that was really, you know, quite spectacular. And, and Yeah, you, now, now you get to see it. Yeah, and, and, you know, th- this is an interesting thing um, because sometimes Marlon gets – you know, he doesn't want to cut a joke or something like that. And the problem, like on this film, wasn't that we didn't have enough jokes. It was that we had too many jokes. You right. know what I'm saying? <laughs> so you're really trying to you're really trying to figure out the jokes that What's the best joke? that flew the best and, and got the biggest laughs. And, you know, we had two previews, so we, we got a pretty good idea of what what the audience was uh, was uh, resonating, you know, what was, they were resonating with. So. Um, but it's 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 you know again that's just another problem set of problems that you know we as editors and filmmakers have to solve. It's like you got too much good stuff. <laughs> you know that's that's like a really good problem to have though. Right. What one really quick follow up question is so when you have let's say like your first cut and it's five hours long or three hours long, are are you sitting with the director at that point to make the cuts to cut it down or? Is it your job to just start making suggestions on like, well, we could lose this scene or maybe we could cut this part down in half or maybe, you know, we move this around or or is that something that you do explicitly with the director? Oh, my God. I'd kill myself if the director bailed after a five and a half hour first cut. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Well, not not completely, but I mean, you know, if they're like, okay, get it to be two hours or three hours, then call me or something. Mm. I don't don't know how they would work. (laughs) It's possible there are people like that. I've I've never worked with one. Usually uh, the director is really, um, you know, pretty, pretty excited and anxious to get in there and start working. And, you know, again, you know, it's my job as the editor and it's our job as editors to really, you know, help them, you know, mold their vision. Uh, the first cut is just that it's just it's just the first you know draft. And as as we know, there are many drafts after the first draft until you get to the final version. And it's it's a it's a it's a process of, of trying all kinds of different things. And, you know, there's all kinds of different things that I miss that Mike, you know, had in mind. Um, and we work through and we work those things in. And sometimes there, you know, the reason I did it was because this is the problem here or here. And, um, you know, it's just this really uh, satisfying, most of the time, creative process that give and take and collaboration. And, you know, again, this is part of the, the sort of the nice thing about having done this a long time and getting a little bit older. You're, 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 you don't get as married to a certain cut or a certain way a, a scene was cut. And you're really more open to like improving it and 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 sort of uh you know molding it into its its best version um because ultimately you you know you're there at the service of the director and uh you want to help him or her 
make their best film and um and that's cool with me you know i'm, I'm that's what i'm here for so it's yeah. um, a great attitude yeah yeah no i nice. I, I just you know i i, I and i want to have a nice you know a good a good experience and again that's one of the joys of you know hooking up with a director that you work with over and over again i mean my friend uh mike mccusker who i know from the uh the old gracie films days uh you know he's he's doing another film a great film with uh uh, it looks like a great film. I don't know if it is. I've, I've only seen the trailer, but with, um, you know, James Mangold, you know, and those guys have made great film after great film together. And obviously, you know, that's the kind of relationship that, you know, an editor, right. if if they get in their career, is really, really lucky to have because it's sort of like, you know, it's one built on trust and, and mutual respect for for their crafts and and it's just it really makes it great you know after a lot of years of sort of bouncing around and not getting into a groove with it with a director uh working with mike has been has just been an awesome experience wow that's great yeah wow good good advice you know find find a groove if you can yeah um, yeah you know because it's going to be a fight anyway so you, you know you'd rather not be miserable <laughs> you know right right <laughs> all right killerman um, well, okay. So my final question is: We, you mentioned your class a couple times, but yeah, what is your class? Well, um, you know, on Naked, I was working with an assistant named Richard Sanchez, um, who's an awesome guy, uh, a top-notch assistant, really smart guy, who I met when I did a film called Flock of Dudes. And great title. Yeah, yeah, it was a small film that uh, Chris D'Elia was in, and sort of an <laughs> ensemble comedy. And, um, you know, Richard was just like reminded me of me back in the day. He was just really into technology and whip smart and just could like solve any problem. That's what I'm looking for in an assistant. You know, just somebody mm-hmm. you throw a problem at them and they're just like they don't even bat an eyelash. They just go to work on it. So Richard was that kind of guy. And we we came back together to work on Naked. And, um, you know, he had developed this thing called, um, well, it was a FileMaker Pro database, actually, that keeps track of everything in the freaking movie. Hmm. And we used to do that in the old days in a big old, you know, paper code book, it was called. Right, <laughs> physically. So, you know, uh, you know, we called it the digital code book. And, and, you know, I just, we were just talking and we we're just like, I was so impressed with what a great assistant he was. And and people used to come in and sort of sit over Richard's shoulder, and he was cool with that. You know, people who wanted to be assistants. It goes on all the time, um, you know, with certain people, and they call it shadowing. You know, can I come in and shadow right. you? And, um, you know, I, I, I took note of this and stuff, and I said, you know, and having developed a few websites and always kind of like been into this stuff, I, I'm like – Hey, Richard, you know, we should come up with an online course. You know, I think we should really create an assistant editing course because there's no course where people can learn really what happens in an editing room as an assistant. Yeah, so true. You know, it's like you don't learn that in film school. I mean, maybe you get a little taste of it in some of the production classes, but real world in the trenches, what it's like to be an assistant editor. And, you know, to make a long story short, we talked about it a little bit. We kind of like looked at each other and we said, hey, maybe it would be a good idea to like, <laughs> you know, throw up a, you know, a weather balloon and see if people would be even interested because we had no idea. And we put this little thing on a Facebook group and we got 300 responses in 48 hours, you know, mm-hmm. like oh, they wow. would be really, wow. they really wanted this information. And um, so we built the course and it's uh, six modules. It's 30 
32, 33 lessons now, we added one. And um, it's like almost 14 hours of material that takes you through the entire process. Everything from, you know, sort of like your first meeting with your editor uh, through pre-production all the way through final delivery. It's like every step of the way, the set of skills that are required to be a first assistant on a on a studio feature or an independent feature or a uh, a network or a streaming studios uh, television show. Really? Film and television? Yeah, sure. Because, I mean, let, let's face it. I mean, you know, HBO doesn't have... You do both. H, HBO doesn't have commercials. Netflix doesn't right. really have commercials. Uh, even show, even streaming networks that have commercials, just drop them in. They don't even have the act breaks and the bumpers. Right. I mean, that that's really only for network stuff right now, which is kind of becoming sort of like just a small segment of all the content that's out there. So anyway, we put this together and and what we really wanted to teach people was that, you know, being an editor uh, and being an assistant is really sort of like a combination of three things. It's it's obviously the creative and there's a very strong technical element, uh, but there's also a really strong interpersonal and maybe you want to say diplomatic or political element. Definitely. You've got to learn how to get along with creative people. You've got to learn, you know, when the best time to keep your mouth shut is. And do you, is this, do you really talk, do you talk about this in the course? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. We have a whole lesson on uh, editing room diplomacy. <laughs> ah, <laughs> oh, that's wow. amazing. Well, okay. So where yeah. is this? Oh, it's at masterthe-workflow.com. Masterthe-workflow.com. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Alric, you'll put that up on the site. On the, in the a- absolutely cool. yeah and and you know just so you know we we only open it up like four times a year because basically oh you can't just join anytime um no it's 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 best uh if you sort of you know just try to do it when we're open because the idea is that we try to um do it like quarterly uh about depending on how busy we are but like Last quarter, we were too busy, so we didn't even open it. Um, but we tried to do it like quarterly. So um, Richard really does most of the assistant technical support. I try to you know, chime in when I can. He's much more sort of, you know, in the moment, so to speak, in terms of, uh, you know, the assistant's role. But we want to be able to support people. We want to be able to answer questions when they ask them. So we have a one of the things you get with the course is a private members and alumni only Facebook group that, you know, Richard's very active in as much as he can be. But that's that's still pretty active. And we want to make ourselves available by by email and things like that. And so it's actually interactive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, we 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 really, you know, sort of part of my personal mission is to really try to mentor people and um, be there for them. Like, for example, you know, some people, you know, just reach out to me and sort of ask for advice. They're going up for a job or you know or something like that. They're thinking about maybe making the transition to editor or trying, and you know. I try to give them advice, you know, That's great. Um, and, you know, we sort of like don't advertise that, but we're, what we've, what's kind of happened is that we've developed this really nice community of people who really want to be editors. You know, it's like, they're not people who are editing because they want to be a director or a writer, uh, which is fine also, but you know, it's like, my philosophy. Yeah. You want the editors. Yeah. It's my philosophy. It's Richard's philosophy. It's most people who really, you know, 
you know our cra- you know our craft is is pretty you know is pretty um, demanding and you know my philosophy has always been you know directors direct writers write editors edit you know don't try to be two things at once and uh, I think that's sort of like some of this uh, I don't know I'm going off on a tangent here but you know sometimes you come out of film school and you think well I'll edit until I get my chance right. to direct and again it happens but you know editors don't want to hear that <laughs> you know right. and neither do others you know assistants busting their ass 80 hours a week so right um you, you know we just try to support people and the people who really want to you know it's kind of weird because you know you can really smell it when somebody is gonna do it you know gonna make it you know they've got this oh yeah certain sort of attitude i met a kid this weekend who i thought was just at the ace tech fest as a matter of fact we we had a booth there and you know again it was just a way to meet and hang out with some of our students and meet hopefully new students um and, you know, he was just this guy and I just thought, this guy gets it, you know, he's just one of those people who get it, you know, and this guy is going to be an editor someday. So, you know, we just try to encourage that and, uh, and try to have some fun do- doing it. We also offer um, scholarships to, we have a partnership with ACE and we offer scholarships oh, wow. to their, That's great. To their inter- interns and also to people in some of their fellowship programs. And we've also tried to give away um, well, we have given away uh, quite a few free memberships or, or, you know, seats in the class to people in underserved sort of communities, people who haven't traditionally been able to get into the film business, you know, get their foot in the door. Yeah, I love that. So we do that. We work, we do that with the Blue Collar Post Collective and we're working with some other organizations to to do that as much as possible. Awesome. Well, Lawrence, thanks so much, man. And I mean, that per- program sounds amazing. And I really love that you make it um, interactive and that it's not something that you just throw up that people can just sign up for. Yeah, and, that and makes do. a big difference. That's very different. Yeah, yeah. No, it's fun. Thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, because that's the kind of experience that you actually want, you know, when you're when you're getting started, or you're trying to learn something is you want the the mentorship. You know, and I think that's probably worth, I don't know what it costs, but that's worth the price tag alone just to have that kind of, you know, the feedback because that's what you need when you're getting started. Yeah. Yeah. Know? And and again, especially in this day and age, you know, you really, you know, you need to build a community of, of sort of teammates and future teammates and coworkers and stuff. So we try to encourage that. And, uh, you know, it seems to be, uh, it seems to be going pretty good. We've, we've put almost, um, almost 400 people through the course in over 30 countries. So we're pretty psyched. Wow. Yeah, thanks. Nice. So, uh, Master the Workflow, check that out. Uh, if you want to be an editor or an assistant editor, it sounds like a really great place to start. Or even if you've already started or someone like me, who's like Definitely. in cor- the corporate world, but's never been inside anything close to a studio editing room before. Uh, well, I think the, it would etiquette, be really... the etiquette thing sounds like worth the price oh, of admission because that's yeah, just something totally. that you just might not, you don't know what you don't know, right? You, you, you have no idea yeah, right. how to talk to these people if you've never been in a room with yeah them. exactly and when to talk to them and, and and that kind of thing exactly um yeah. yeah and and we we actually get a lot of people from you know different editing worlds you know corporate uh trailers promos a lot of people coming out of reality tv want to work in script oh, wow so yeah we've had a had a lot of nice. success with that and uh sex tup- sex tuplets you said it's coming out later this year is that right august 16th in 190 countries and on netflix wow. you? Oh, on netflix nice yeah. so uh is there a trailer out for sex tuplets that we can uh post as well not yet but i'll i'll shoot you uh an email uh and i'd love to find out you know more about you guys so uh you know i did i did uh check out your website and stuff so uh oh cool yeah cool, yeah stay in touch and um absolutely and i will certainly let 
let you know when that trailer's up. Yeah, we can add it to the po- the the show notes later, and then we can also just you know do a shout out on Twitter and our Facebook page when the when the trailer comes out, and Definitely. you know remind people to listen to this episode if they haven't yet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I love it, and um, I really I think you guys you know you sound like you have a great show, and uh, I love people who love film. Uh, like you guys so uh it's been really fun talking to you yeah thanks so much oh wow thanks lawrence thanks so much for taking the time it's been an honor really to talk to somebody who's you know been in the business so long worked on so many amazing films you know a lot of which i've seen when they came out you know and uh (laughs) yeah yeah, it's just like i wish i could talk to you for three hours i could ask a million questions um we'll we'll get together we'll have a drink or something oh that would be amazing oh my god i would love that okay yeah i gotta i gotta get my butt to los angeles (laughs) Um, but soon soon sounds good man. so thanks for everyone for listening and thanks again to Lawrence for being on the show everyone oh yeah huge (laughs) Um, (laughs) and everyone check out Master the Workflow and and Sex Tuplets and then if you haven't seen uh, you know Naked or um, you know what's the other one Uh, Fifty Shades Shades of Black yeah Yeah, check those out and then of course all of uh, Lawrence's other films yeah Lawrence Um, are you on Twitter or Instagram or any of that well we have uh, Master the Workflow on Twitter and uh, Facebook and Instagram so yeah just check us out. We're, we're there. Great. Awesome. We'll add that to the show notes as well. And you can find us at makingmoviesishard.com where you can find the links uh, to the things we talked about in this episode, including all the trailers and master the workflow and all that good stuff. If you want to get in contact with us, you can send an email to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com or you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MMIH Podcast. And I'm Ulrich B on Twitter and Instagram. And Kellerman, you are... Kellerman writes a lot on Instagram. And uh, please, if you like the show, tell a friend. Help us get the word out. You can leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And there's a Patreon. Again, there's a there's Patreon. A, oh, my God. Yes, there's a Patreon. Stop forgetting the Patreon. <laughs> I know. I don't give the Patreon enough love. Uh, and thank you to the patrons who are uh, loyal patrons. I really appreciate it. I um, love access to a special Facebook group. That's a that's a great idea. Oh, yeah. That's a great that's, idea. That's a hot tip, as it's you'd say. a hot tip for us. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Lawrence and, and Kellerman. And yeah, everyone, have a great night. You too. Thanks a lot, guys.